We're, we're, we're good, guys. You can, you can go have a seat. Go ahead and uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 23. And while we do that, um, TC or Catherine, do you want to come up here? And Juliet, do you want to come up here? So uh, we did this last week. We'll do it this week, and we'll probably do it in a couple, you know, a couple more weeks. So we still have books. Uh, here's here's a book for you guys uh, from from actually it's it's a company that I visit when I do my chaplaincy. Uh, they have this big old Christmas party for families. <laughs> she's she's right on it. Good job, Julia. Uh, and and so they they told me like, hey, we do this. We always give out Christmas books the families, would you want some to give out to your church? I was like, sure. So here's a free book from the Mears Corporation, um, and so I hope that you can enjoy that. Um, if you are able and willing, I ask that you please stand today for the reading of God's Word in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. As always, it will be up on the, the screen here. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet, or by the Lord through the prophets. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah wailing and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. And together we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray this morning. Holy One, your word comes to us, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, Holy Word, you cross every border meant to shut you out, Holy Wisdom, speak to us in the word read and proclaimed, hearing may we dream your dreams and faithfully follow wherever you lead. In your triune name we pray, amen. So we're, we're talking about Christmas still. We, we have this time, and I wanted to take a, a brief moment because when you start to think about celebrations, and, and I'm not just talking about like a, a quick little party, but I'm talking about like how celebrations used to be done and, and really, really done well you often would have people who, uh, at, at a certain moment, they would get up and they would do a toast. They would do some sort of recognition to acknowledge the people who made it possible to do this. And you know, you're, if you're thinking of like Christmas parties with companies and, and stuff like that, usually they, they stop and they want to say, okay, well, thank you to all your workers. Thank you to, to all the people who, who made this year a great year and all that stuff. And, and so in this time, as we are in this Christmas season still, we are celebrating. We're supposed to be treating this as a, a celebration, as a time to be joyous and to spread the good news that Christ is born, and it's this wonderful idea, but just as we are celebrating, I want us to stop, and I want us to, to 
to give that recognition. I want us to stop and kind of give a, a little toast to those who have made it possible. You see, after we read each scripture in our worship time, we, we say, this is the word, Lord, thanks be to God. And, and sometimes that makes a lot of sense because the scripture is talking about how we are going to be blessed or how God loves us. And so it's like, yes, thank you, Lord. But, but then we read certain scriptures like this, where babies have been killed. And the Son of God with mother and father are on the run trying to keep their life. And so at the end, we say thanks be to God. And it can be kind of a, a sort of dissonance in our minds to say, why are we giving thanks to God for something like this? But I want us to reframe that a bit. I want us to think about this, this proclamation of thanks be to God for the fact that this word is here to instruct us to teach us, to encourage us, to equip us, to, to even sometimes rebuke us. So when we are saying thanks be to God, we're not saying thank you, Lord, that these babies died and that Jesus had to go down to Egypt and all that. We're, we're not saying that necessarily, but what we are saying is thank you, Lord, for this word that is living and active and able to work in our lives today. Which is really good because we don't have a very happy-go-lucky party kind of conversation today. You see, this is uh, the Sunday that we, we celebrate the holy innocence, where we remember the slaughter of all those children. And, and you, again, can have that sort of dissonance in your life where, where we're looking at this and we're supposed to be celebrating Christmas, but yet here we are talking about a very tragic situation. So how do those two come together? Well, this is where, as we, as we move forward, I want us to keep this, this idea in mind about God's faithfulness, because that's what draws this together for us. Now, before we get to that, I want to give a little bit of extra context here. First off, we need to set some stuff straight, because I don't know how many of you are on the same page or anything like this, but I want us to kind of get some stuff out in the air. The wise men were not present for Jesus' birth. Okay? They were not there. They, Jesus was born and the star appeared. They saw it when they were back in what we supposed to be about Babylon area. They see the star and they say, huh. And so then they do their studying and then they do their preparations, and then they make their journey, which is not easy because they don't have cars. At most, they might have had camels or horses, but more likely than not, they walked. So it took some time. They probably were not present until a year or a year and a half after Jesus was born. So just, just keep that in mind. They were not there at the, the original, like, Jesus' birth, like how we usually portray it or how it's been taught in years past. Uh, and, and with that, we have this idea then of why Herod would have had such an age range. It explains why he says two and under rather than just saying every newborn, because that would have been a much, much easier uh, segment to find and to deal with. The other thing is, is we don't really know the, the real number of the wise men. We say three because there are three gifts. There was probably actually more. We don't know their actual names. We, history has given them names because people kind of want that, that, that categorical idea. And so we give names to things, but we don't really actually know for sure. But that's okay. And more likely than not, they were Gentiles. They were not Jews. They were people who had studied the scripture because, remember, Israel was sent into captivity into Babylon. And so they took some of their teachings with them. And so some people who were not Jewish started to learn about this Christian faith. And so like, they, they picked it up. And so this is actually the first time that we have people who are not Jews coming to see Christ, which is actually really special to think about. And it shows this idea that, that God came not just for the Jews, but also for everyone all across the world. 
The other thing is, is I want us to just have this fun little idea of the correlation between Jesus and his early life with the, the whole story of Moses and the exodus out of Egypt. You can see those parallels as they had to go down into Egypt to flee away. The Israelites, when they were just the, the 12 sons, and you have Joseph who was sold into slavery and all that. We just watched that last night, the VeggieTales version of that, which is not biblically accurate, by the way. Um, but, but we watched that with the kids. Uh, and so Joseph goes down, and then they all come down. They live there because they're escaping the famine that was in their land. And then they are in slavery for 400 years. And then they leave through the exodus. And then here we have Jesus who is coming down. He's fleeing hardship. And then he's, they're living in Egypt. And then they are called out of Egypt. It's this sort of parallel. And this is a, a beautiful way of God showing, again, the, the working of, of what he is doing in the world. And that's why then if you were to read into like Hebrews, the author talks about how Jesus is the better uh, builder than Moses and all that. He's drawing these connections because of this right here. But that's all this fun, nerdy stuff that we could talk about later on when we're eating after service. That, that's the kind of stuff that I'll talk on for hours. But what we really need to get to is this idea that God is faithful in the midst of our free will. And this is how we're going to bring this all together, and this is how we're going to be able to still celebrate. This is how we're going to raise a toast metaphorically, to those who came before us. You see, I want us to stop and to consider all the blood that was shed so that we might have salvation. So often we talk about Jesus shedding his own blood on the cross, and then that's hugely important. Like, nothing happens if that didn't happen. But in this story, we get to see it was not just Christ who had blood shed. We had all these infants who were killed as Herod sought to try to find this so-called Messiah. And you can go back further. You can go back all the way to Abraham and you can look through all the stories, all the people who were faithful to God and lost their lives because of their faithfulness. All that blood leads up to the cross. And then we have after the cross, all the Christians who are faithful still yet to carry on the good news so that we might hear. I want us to stop just for a moment and to think with, with sober minds that there was so much blood that was shed so that we might also share in this good news. And I want us to give thanks for that. Because if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't know about Christ. We wouldn't have salvation. But this brings into our, our conversation something that is a little bit tricky. And, and in this, this proclamation of good news, I, I brought up this idea of free will. And we have to wrestle with this a little bit because we have what seems to be two kind of different sides of a coin. We have prophecy and we have free will. And, and oftentimes when we think of prophecy, we think of it as being very firm, very static. If God says this is going to happen, it is going to happen. But then free will naturally says anything can happen. You can make a different choice and it can change. And so we need to wrestle with this idea as Christians of how we merge both this idea of prophecy and free will together. You see, because it says here, Matthew writes that this, this killing of all the infants, it was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. And we read that, and that can cause some disturbing thoughts about the God that we serve. You see, prophecy... Uh, if we treat it as something that is static, something that must always happen because God said so, we 
come to this point where then we have to deal with texts like this that then lead into something else that we're going to get to in just a second. But I'm going to argue for the fact that this is not how prophecy actually works. You see, prophecy is not meant to actually be this static, God said it, so it needs to happen kind of deal. In fact, oftentimes what we see in Scripture is that this, this idea of prophecy comes in because people who have been studying Scripture, who have been seeing how God has been working throughout history, they look back and they see what happened, and then they connect to these dots. And they say, oh my goodness, see this happened, and now we have something that mirrors what was spoken back then, and now it's coming here. And so they call that prophecy. And so if you're to go back into the text, you have Jeremiah, and it's actually Jeremiah chapter 31. I'm going to actually turn there here so that we can read this, because in order to understand this prophecy, we, we go back to its source. So Jeremiah chapter 31, specifically verses 15 through 17, says this, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentations and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted for her children because they are no more. That is what is quoted, obviously, in, in Matthew. But it goes on, because that's part of a larger section. Verse 16, thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For there is a reward for your work, says the Lord. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children shall come back to their own country. And so when we start talking about prophecy, and when, when Matthew is beginning to talk about this prophecy that Jeremiah spoke, he says this one section. But every good Jew who's been studying the, the I'm going to say Bible, it's the Old Testament, when they've been reading Jeremiah, they all suddenly, they click and they say, oh, that's, yeah, he's quoting Jeremiah. And they're not just reading that one section. They're reading the, all the rest of it, the blessings where God says, but weep no more. I'm going to bring their children back. I'm going to, I'm going to make things okay. And so when we look at prophecy, we can't just look at the one section that is quoted. We should go back and read the context around it because so often the authors are writing that one section so that our minds are triggered to go back and to think about the whole structure and to see the bigger picture of what's going on. And so if we were to take that stance of prophecy, we begin to look at this and we can say, okay, I can see God is doing something bigger than just allowing for children to die, which is great news. But this brings in another point because we have free will. You see, a lot of times people who want to adjust themselves to think of prophecy as being that, stag that static, must-happen kind of deal, they are also, uh, they're in line with what we would say Calvinism's idea of predestination and, and predeterminism. And this idea that from the very beginning, God, since we believe that God knows all, that God then also knows who's going to be saved, who is not going to be saved. And so it's really not up to us. It's just going to happen. And no matter what choices we make, it will happen because God knows everything and God has predetermined everything, so it must happen. This is not what we believe within the Church of Nazarene. This is not something that we hold to as sound biblical teaching uh, for many reasons, but one of which it then would bring us to something like this, this passage, and it would then say, so God, in all infinite wisdom and love and faithfulness and hope, made a whole bunch of infants who were only destined to be killed. And somehow we have to rationalize that with a God who we proclaim is love and mercy and grace-filled. And that's kind of hard. Some people might be able to manipulate it and make it work, but we, we don't have to, because we, we're, we're not stuck to that. You see, we, we believe that God is all-knowing, 
But because God is filled with love and grace and mercy, he allows for us to have free will, which means that there are choices that we can make that can interfere with or aid God's will. Herod played a part in this that he did not necessarily have to. Herod did not necessarily have to kill the infants. But because he had free will and because he was filled with jealousy and anger and was overhyped with power, he wanted to protect his own status and thus made a choice that affected hundreds of people. And so this is this idea of God being faithful in the fact that we have free will. Because God, even though we have free will and we make choices, God is still trying to work things out so that the ultimate end is exactly as prescribed. The way I think about this and the, the way that it has helped me over the years is you think about GPS. Now, uh, side note. Originally, when I came up with this idea, I wrote it as my, my college dissertation, um, and that was back in 2012, so like actual like devoted GPSs were still a thing. It wasn't quite so mainstream. Everyone had a smartphone, and, and Google Maps was the way to go or anything like that. And so like, it, you can still think about your phone, but like originally when I thought about this concept and wrote the paper on it, it was thinking about like a Garmin that I had in my car to direct me. And, and so what we can think about is, is God is like a GPS. I was trying to think of some way to use that acronym in a godly way, but I, anyways... God is like a GPS. We put in a destination. God has put in a destination. God desires that all people might be saved so that they might be remade, brought into likeness and relationship with one another, with God, with creation. This is the will of the Lord, that all things might be restored and renewed. So if that's the destination, and we're here, and we are in relationship with God, so we're trying to get there. And, and we want to get to that destination sometimes, but sometimes our free will gets in the way, and we make choices, and we say, well, actually, I really like money, so I'm going to do things so I can have more and more money. And so we veer off course, and no longer are we heading towards this destination, we're heading towards something else. But God, being a faithful GPS, says, recalculating. I had to. Recalculating. Make a U-turn. Turn right here. Take a left there. It, God is then saying, okay, fine, you made that choice. Let's work with you now from here. You, you would have had an easier job from here, but we're going to work with you from here. Okay, well, as a teenager, I made a choice to steal a car, and so then I have juvie on my record, and so now it's harder for me to get a job. Okay, yeah, so you made a few detours, but we can still get you to this destination. You just now have to, you know, we're, we're recalculating. God is always constantly trying to recalculate. Of course, then we get into some of the weeds of it where some people will just always go off course, and they never want to return and, and stuff, but... But if you think of this idea of how God is faithfully recalculating to bring us to this place, we can then bring into balance this idea of God who knows all but still allows us to have free will to make choices that don't always align with that. And so when we come to verses like this about the infants and we see the horrible things that have happened, we can look at God's faithfulness as, as God protected Christ and, and Joseph and Mary. Think about the, the devastation it would be. The parents are going to get killed too, by the way. Like, if they found who was Jesus as an infant, as a toddler, Herod wasn't just going to kill Jesus. He was going to kill the parents because the baby didn't come out of the womb saying, I'm the Messiah. It would have been the parents who were proclaiming this. And so Herod would have cut the whole thing off. 
God as being faithful, bringing them. Unfortunately, because of people's other choices, Herod making the choice to maintain his power, we have others who lost their lives. And so that's why we come in this moment and we say, thanks be to God. Thank you for the blood that was shed. Not just Christ, but even these infants. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, even though this is a really, really bad thing. And so in the midst of our celebration today, I want us to give thanks to those who both willingly and those who unwillingly gave their lives so that we might hear and know who Christ is. I want us to, to see how this plays out in our lives today and, and then to bring this in with the idea of free will and about our choices. Even today, we have the choice to make that affects not just ourselves, but others. And we need to realize that there is that impact. And even though God is trying to do some marvelous things in this world, we as a church could really mess them up if we as a church decided, you know, instead of being faithful to God and to the way that God's kingdom works, we just want to be a really, really good social club. We just want to be a place where people love to come together, where we can have all the nice things and we can feel comfortable and good about ourselves. We could do that as a church. We could be really great at that. Create our own little echo chamber of everyone who thinks the same, speaks the same, shops the same. But that could have a huge impact. Think of all the people who would not hear about Christ in this community if we choose to go that route. It applies in our marriages. It applies in our families. It applies in our workplaces, the choices that we make. And so that's why every day we must rise and decide to put on Christ, to put on the Spirit of the Lord that we proclaim as our Savior so that our minds might Think as Christ thought, that our words might be Christ's words, that our actions might be Christ's actions. Most of all, we need to be careful to not let free will become an excuse for us to sin. Well, I can do whatever. I mean, God, God's going to get me there no matter what, so I can just enjoy life, right? I can make choices all by myself. You see, free will is a grace from God to help us in our learning, to help us as we are growing. Because as we are younger, some of us can attest when we were teenagers or young adults or even children, we didn't make the best of choices. But as we have grown, we've learned more and more on how to be more patient, more loving, more kind, and so this, this idea of free will is a grace to allow us to figure out how to live like Christ. Instead of God just being like, well, you messed up, you're done, no more. So as we close today, I actually want us to hear, because that, that section of Jeremiah is actually one of even a larger section. I want to read the first bit of Jeremiah 31 for us to hear these words because this is the time of Israel. They made some of their free will choices. They made some of those decisions and God was saying, recalculating. I'm recalculating. I'm still recalculating. Would you figure it out because I'm tired of recalculating? They were off in Babylon. They were living without hope. And so then here comes Jeremiah speaking to those who are still sitting in Jerusalem in the rubble and in the despair 
looking at everything, saying, all the people are gone. What do we do now? How do we live out this, this call to be God's people when there's just a few of us? At that time, says the Lord, I will be God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built. O virgin Israel, again, you shall take your tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when sentinels will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, save, O Lord, your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I'm going to bring them from the land of the north, and gather them from the furthest parts of the earth. Among them the blind and the lame, those with children and those in labor together. A great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with consolations I will lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I become a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd of flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the heights of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall become like a watered garden, and they shall never languish again. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will give the priests their fill of fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with my bounty, says the Lord. All of this comes before the plea of the people who are saying, we are weeping bitterly because your children are no more. Dan, I want you to come up uh, and get ready to play as we, as we move in. Because we, we've heard the word of the Lord proclaimed. We have, we have heard this message. And so now we need to respond to what God has been doing within our lives. And, and, and first, we are going to respond through prayer. Um, and, and this is where you can look at your bulletins. You can see the, the prayer requests that are coming up. I want to highlight the fact that John Fitzgerald um, is continuously having declining health. And so we want to pray for Yovan and Pastor Jessica and, and their family. But before you, you play, uh, I want us to take a moment of silence so that we may give thanks for those who died, so that we might recognize the sacrifice, that we might join with the women and the men who mourn over the loss of their children. And so, as we begin to pray, let us take this moment of silence, and then when I begin to actually pray, Stan, you can begin to play. But I just want us to sit in silence. God of steadfast love. We thank you in this joyful Christmas tide for all the blessings we enjoy. 
the shelter of home and the comfort of family and friends, the company of the faithful with whom we celebrate Christ's coming, and for your love which shines as a light in the darkness. For these and many other blessings besides, we offer our thanks and our praise. God of mercy, in this holy season, there are people in need of your tender mercies. We pray for those who are ill and for those who are recovering, for those whose sadness is made heavier by memories of Christmas's past or by some present pain. We pray for those who do not have enough, enough food, enough money, enough companionship, enough hope. Because there is not yet peace on earth. We pray for those in harm's way. Protect them from war, violence, and cruel oppression. For these and many others we offer our intercession. God of hope, through long ages you have given to your people dreams and a vision of a time when there will be no more war, no more pain or sorrow, no more death. We pray this day for the time to be fulfilled when we will be reconciled to one another, to all creation, to you. Fill us with hope as we wait upon your coming realm. Give us the will to work for justice and peace and the courage to follow you into every place. We thank you for dreamers and visionaries we who respond with imagination and joy to what you are doing in the church and in the world as we, as we remember them before you. Oh, Lord, be with those who are not present with us, those who still, for them, traveling is not safe in this weather. I pray for those who are struggling in this season of, of joyous times, who have lost loved ones and find it hard to be happy. Lord, I continue uh, to, to think of John and we ask, Lord, that you might lift him up as his health declines. Be with Yovonne and help her in this time of transition as he approaches death. Help their families to find comfort in you, O oh Lord. We continue to lift up Stan and Vicki with the passing of Linda. We pray for Edward and, and we pray for the family and for her sister as they continue to go through these times, these moments of life that will remind them that one more is not present. We lift up Kay's mother as she continues to battle cancer. We pray for Kay that you protect her as she will be taking her mom for treatments and driving far distances on roads that are not always the safest with people who are not always paying attention. Lord, we pray for safety to surround them. And help us, Lord, as your church. We give you praise because you have given us free will. We give you praise because you are a God who is faithful. We give you praise because you do have the knowledge and the insight. So help us, God. Help us to see your faithfulness and to respond accordingly. Help us to, in this time, give us sober thanks for those who died so that Christ might live so that we might have a savior
O Lord, be with us in this time. As many will see this this shift in a calendar, this change of one day to a next as a time to start over, a time to bring change. I pray, Lord, that we might see this as, as an ultimate time to come into your likeness, to be made more like you. May we wake every day not to the sound of a GPS saying recalculating, but to the sound of your Holy Spirit saying, well done, my good and faithful, my good and faithful servant, as we follow your path. As the new year dawns, we know that our times are in your hands. We entrust ourselves and those we love to your care. And so we pray in the name of the Father and the Son that you might bring all things to your glory. Amen. All creation teems with the abundance of God's provision. Mountains and hills, fruit trees and cedars, creeping things and flying birds. Our own lives bear witness to the abundance of God's love and mercy. For God has lifted us up and carried us in our need. In joyful praise, we offer to God a portion of all we have received. If I could have a few of the ushers come forward. Go ahead, Elizabeth. We'll pray over the, the offerings today. Yeah, come on. Come on, dude. Let us pray over the offerings today. In this gifting season, O oh God, we are grateful for the gifts of your dear Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Receive, we pray, these offerings we bring. May they be used in the service of your grace and truth, dwelling among us in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sins and seek to live at peace with one another. Therefore, let us prepare our hearts to be God's sanctuary. Steadfast God, you alone are worthy of praise and thanksgiving. You created all there is and welcomed us to share in every detail with you. You're preserving, you're preserving hold on all of your created things. Never relent. Through Rachel and Joseph, you shaped your people to be a blessing to the nations. In times of joy, but also in sorrow and suffering, when the torment of slavery seemed unbreakable, your imagination unlocked unyielding shackles. When exile seemed endless, your mercies never failed. And when your son came to be born in the midst of all you're created, all that you've created, you did not spare him human sorrow and suffering, even the cross. He knew exile while still an infant, as he and his parents escaped to safety, when so many other children went to death. And years later in Jerusalem, he went to death that all your children might live with you in resurrection, resurrection glory. And so we give you thanks, praising you with angels and archangels as we join their unending praise. Join with me. Holy, 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 God of power and might, 
Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. God of mercy, the Lamb of who takes away the sins of the world, pour out your grace upon us through your very lifeblood in this holy meal. Send your Holy Spirit upon us to make us merciful as you are merciful. By the blood of the Lamb, sign our names in the book of life. Send your Holy Spirit upon this bread and this cup that they may be for us the body and the blood of Christ, who at supper with his disciples took bread, gave you thanks, and broke the bread, and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. And after supper he took the cup, and again he gave you thanks, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. God of all consolation, pierce the hearts of your church with the same cries that pierce your heart. Where suppressed years of history have left blood crying from the ground, make us people who seek the truth. Where the innocent dies as bystanders, make us people who remember. Where families fleeing for safety seek refuge in unfamiliar lands, make us people of welcome. Where parents weep over the death of a child, make us people of tenacious love. Meet our tears with your holy comfort and turn our sorrow into wisdom for others to share until that day when we gather around the throne of the Lamb in endless praise to you, living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And now with the confidence of children of God, let us say together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. When your hearts are ready, you may come and receive the elements and take them and, and uh, eat and drink
the worship team may come forward as we sing today. I want us, in, in this very odd way, as we have been remembering and we have been talking about things that are very cruel, but yet been talking about the faithfulness of God, let us sing together as we close, Joy to the World. Because in all of this, in all of the struggles, in all the pain and the sorrow, we can still proclaim joy because of who Christ is, because of God's faithfulness. And so join with us today as we sing the song. Go out to share the good news with a world bent low from suffering and fear. Jesus Christ has come to help us and to set us free. May God, the Creator, Christ the Savior, and the Holy Spirit, our Advocate, guard your going out and your coming in, and by your strength and help in every time of need. Go in the grace of God. God bless you.